Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing with our biblical mindset series, and we're going to be talking about part two of a biblical approach to decision making. So if you didn't catch part one, I encourage you to go back and listen to that as you have time. It'll give a great foundation for some of the principles that we're going to unpack today. Before we dive in, I wanted to encourage you to check out our 2023 Ellerslie Discipleship Programs. We have a summer week-long program. If you're not able to come to Colorado for longer than a week, it is an amazing intensive week of going deeper with Jesus, becoming grounded in truth, connecting with like-minded believers from all around the world. We'd love to have you out. There are a few spots left in our week-long program, but it is filling very quickly. Or if you'd like to join us for longer, we have a five-week program in the fall that starts in late August and goes into September. So if you're interested in joining us for a set-apart season of just really becoming grounded in truth, click the links in this podcast description or go to ellersley.com for more information. Let's talk about part two of a biblical approach to decision-making. Last episode, we talked about the importance of remaining dependent upon God and not just barreling ahead with our own agenda and our own desires and then just asking him to bless our decisions. And that's how a lot of us approach decision-making. It's only when we yield our lives to him, wait on him, allow him to be in the driver's seat, that we really can be led by God and be confident that our decisions are being led by him. This week, I want to unpack a few additional Additional principles that have been very helpful to me in maintaining a biblical approach to my own life decisions. And the first one is to yield our uniqueness to Christ. We live in a culture that really emphasizes our special, unique desires and whims and wants. And we always are hearing the message, you know, be you. Don't let anybody tell you who you can be. Don't let anybody try to redefine you. Do your thing and be who you want to be. It's definitely obvious that God has given each of us uniqueness. We all have unique talents, desires, abilities, and personalities. There is some truth to the fact that we are not supposed to allow the culture or others around us to redefine who we are, but we are to allow God to redefine who we are. He gives us our unique gifts so that we can surrender them back to him, not so that we can cling tightly to them. Only when they are yielded to him can they be used for God's glory. We often cling very tightly to our own individuality, and we believe that unless we are doing something that specifically caters to our specific personality or talents, we're just wasting our potential and being robbed of the opportunity to be everything we can be. In fact, it's easy to even think that it's our God-given right or our duty to pursue a path that is going to maximize our unique strengths and desires. We need to remember, as we talked about in the last episode, that God's ways are very different from our ways. Jesus' unique strengths, quote unquote, were not maximized during his earthly ministry because instead of coming to earth as a king arrayed in heavenly glory, which is who he really was, he came as a humble baby born into a very poor family, born in a manger. Instead of being surrounded by royal fanfare, which is what he deserved, he lived as a simple carpenter. Instead of being treated as the Lord of heaven and earth, he chose to take the position of a humble servant and wash the feet of those who were not worthy to unloose the strap of his sandal. And in all of this, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. It says that in 1 Peter 2.21. He willingly chose to lay down his right to applause and esteem and chose to make himself of no reputation, as it says in Philippians 2. And it's the very same attitude he has called us to walk in. 
Now, God certainly may choose to utilize our unique personality or talents in order to build his kingdom and bring glory to his name through our lives, but it's so important to realize that he is only going to do that when we have completely surrendered those things to him. If we cling to our right to have our talents maximized and our uniqueness catered to, we are going to stand in the way of God truly getting glory out of our lives. Very often, he will ask us to go through a season where our personal unique talents or personality remains hidden, unnoticed, unrecognized, unappreciated, so that we can learn to be all about his glory instead of all about our own. I think about Paul spending 12 years hidden in Arabia or Moses tucked away on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Both of these men had a profound calling on their lives, but before they could really be useful for the purposes of God, they had to lay down every ounce of personal confidence and ambition. They were willing to be unrecognized and unseen, their talents wasted and their strengths overlooked. Only after they had willingly become nobodies did God work mightily through their lives to progress his kingdom and alter the course of history. When I was a teenager, I remember wanting to be a Christian musician and building my life around opportunities to showcase those unique abilities that I had. But as God began to really get a hold of my life, I had to learn to lay that down. And at first, it was really hard to let go of my dreams and allow my talent to remain hidden. But soon it became such a great joy to surrender that gift, that unique gift he had given me back to the one who had given it to me in the first place. And years later, God allowed me to share my music with others in a public sense, but it was only after my motives were purified and I cared about his glory and not my own. I would encourage you to ask God to show you any areas where you've been clinging to your right to be noticed for your unique strengths, talents, or personality. Are you willing to lay down those things and take the lowest place just as Jesus did? Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Only when it dies will it be able to produce lasting fruit. And another principle, in addition to yielding your uniqueness to Christ, is to ask the right question. One of the enemy's sneakiest tactics among women today is to get us distracted with self-evaluation, self-analyzing. The question, who am I, becomes one of the top concerns in our minds. We take these elaborate personality tests. We go to career counselors. We cultivate specific hobbies. We build up our personal social media presence and platform. We read self-help books and articles and blogs trying to discover and express who we are. But when we do those things, we become preoccupied with the wrong question. We need to remember that as daughters of the king, we are no longer to concern ourselves with who we are. Instead, our focus should be centered around a completely different question, who is he? When we know who Jesus is and when we understand what it means to be found in him, the question, who am I, is automatically solved. He is the vine. We are the branches. Without him, our lives will amount to nothing. You can read about that in John 15. When our identity becomes wrapped up in Jesus and not in ourselves, that's when we become the set-apart women he has called us to be. And here is a quote from Ian Thomas that I have used many times on this podcast, but it's so worth being reminded of. The Christian life can only be explained in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. So if you have been seeking your identity in anything outside of Jesus Christ, 
I encourage you to ask him for the grace to shift your focus, to fix your gaze upon him, to find your strength in him and to build your life around. Because if you truly know who he is, you will understand who you are. And those daily decisions, those life decisions will become so much easier because your focus is on the glory of God. Your focus is on your position in Christ and not desperately trying to solve the mystery of who you are. Another principle is to put pride aside, to lay down pride. And when it comes to a biblical approach to decision-making, we have to have a humble, submissive attitude. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. And we could turn that around and say, do you see a woman wise in her own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for her. It's the same principle. All throughout scripture, God makes it clear that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we are prideful, which means we believe we have everything figured out and we don't really need God's help, that's when we're setting ourselves up for a major fall. The wonderful promise in Psalm 32, 8 and 9 about God's guidance is conditional upon the fact that we can't be marked by pride. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. So if we are stubborn like a horse or a mule, we cannot be led by God. Our pride controls us just like a bridle controls a headstrong animal. I remember talking to a Christian young woman a number of years ago who felt compelled to date a married man, a man who was in the process of going through a divorce. He was still married, and she had all kinds of justifications for this course of action. He was going through a divorce. He wasn't planning on staying with his wife. He was a Christian who had just made some mistakes, and she felt free to date him because she, quote, knew that God had given her that freedom. Now, for most of us, we look at a situation like that and say, okay, something's off about that. But why was she so off base in her ability to hear the voice of God. If I look at her life and how she was approaching that situation, what I see is pride. She was so confident in her own wisdom, her own reasoning, her own ability to hear God that she was veering completely off course without even realizing it. A closer look at her life revealed that she hadn't even taken time to pray about the situation because she just knew or just felt that it was okay for her to move forward. Pride is very dangerous to our souls. When we are wise in our own eyes, we are going to be even less successful than a fool. So how can we avoid becoming wise in our own eyes? Here's a key truth that can really help us keep pride in its place. We need to remember that God will never lead us to do something that contradicts his word or his nature. Anything that is done in fleshly pride is not inspired by him, no matter how right or how spiritual it may seem at the time. So whether that means you feel angry at someone and you want to confront them because you see sin in their lives, but you feel the freedom to be very fleshly and arrogant and harsh in how you deal with them, just because you're speaking maybe words of truth or words that they need to hear does not mean you're being led by God in how you're approaching it. Or if it comes to your relational life, I know a lot of young women who have felt called to date non-Christian guys because they want to help influence him. And yet usually that ends in disaster because they are thinking that they're being led by God and yet going against the biblical principle of God's nature that says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. If we choose whatever seems right to us, we are 
ignoring God telling us, do not be wise in your own eyes. Yield and submit to me, even if you think you know better. I mean, who are we to think that we know better than God, the one who created us? When we allow pride instead of God's word to direct our steps and direct our life decisions, we are definitely setting ourselves up for disaster. So I encourage you to take some time to lay pride down and say, Lord, I don't want to be wise in my own eyes. I don't want to just rush ahead with what seems right to me. Take some time to seek truth in the word of God. If it's an issue that seems a little gray or a little blurry to you, find God's pattern in the word of God. There is no question or decision or concern that cannot be addressed in the word of God that does not have an answer in the word of God if we seek his truth diligently. And another principle that is so critical when it comes to biblical decision making is to seek godly counsel. So in addition to guiding us through his word and that still small voice of his spirit, God also speaks to us through the godly counsel of others. I think back to my early days of my relationship with Eric, we felt God was challenging us to invite our parents to become a key part of our love story, not to dictate our relationship, but to provide godly counsel and accountability along the way. Now, as a teenager, I never would have imagined that asking my parents to be a part of my love story would lead to beauty, but it did. Rather than being controlling and dictatorial, they were life-giving and encouraging. In fact, my dad and Eric met on a regular basis to talk about how he could win my heart in a godly way. And, and when I was younger, I used to say, what girl wouldn't feel like a princess with the two most important men in her life talking about how to win her heart in a godly, honorable way? So if you are in that younger season of life and you have godly parents, consider how you can invite them to provide godly counsel for you as you navigate important life decisions. If your pride tries to keep you from doing that, remember that receiving godly counsel is such an important key to hearing God's voice and following his leading. Gaining input from others isn't a replacement for seeking God on your own and having your own relationship with him, but godly counselors can provide confirmation to what God God is showing you, and they can also provide words of caution or redirection when it is needed. So in your younger years, if you have godly parents, that is definitely the primary source of godly counsel that God has designed for you. And as you get older, or if you don't have godly parents, God can bring other wise godly counselors into your life. Be sure that they are people who are truly passionately seeking after Christ, building their lives around him, and are willing to speak truth into your life and not just tell you what you want to hear. And if you don't feel like you have those people in your life, ask God to bring them along. Christ-centered leaders or mentors that can really fill that role of being those godly teammates. The older generation of Christians often has a lot of godly wisdom to share if we will simply humble ourselves and go after them and invite their counsel into our lives. I know a lot of women who are empty nesters who are really filled with godly wisdom and they have so much to share. And when younger women go to them and say, I'd like your input here, it is just, it's so powerful and beautiful to see how they can speak truth into a younger woman's life. And if you are an older woman, be willing to fill that role. We've talked about that before in other episodes but it's such a need among the younger generation. Now, again, it's important to make sure that your godly counselors are really speaking things that line up with God's word and his nature, and they aren't just kind of giving you a blend of pop psychology and and human wisdom and a few little bits of truth in there, don't look for counselors and teammates that have a casual regard for the word of God, but people who truly build their lives around his truth. Proverbs 15.22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
So go after godly counselors in your life and allow them to speak truth into your life, even if they have to say things that are a little bit hard to hear at times. If you want to know God's voice and be led by him, never forget that he is not trying to hide his wisdom for you or make his voice obscure. He is ready and waiting to direct your steps as a shepherd lovingly directs his sheep. Jesus expressed this beautifully in the parable of the shepherd. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It is such an amazing joy to realize that God does not leave us to figure things out on our own. He is ready to gently and clearly lead us in the way we should go. All we need to do is open our ears, open our hearts, and truly seek him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's remember that we can't treat Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, like just a casual buddy who has a few good things to say. If we want to truly be led by God and make heavenly decisions, he must become our King, our Lord, our master. He must be lifted high above our own thoughts, ideas, opinions, and human wisdom. We must adapt our thoughts around his truth rather than trying to adapt his truth around our own ideas. When we humble ourselves in his sight, he will lift us up. He is faithful and true. We can trust him to lead and guide our steps. He is not trying to make himself hard to understand he is ready to walk with us every step of the way every moment throughout our day if we invite him to i hope you've enjoyed this week's episode if you'd like to go deeper into building a christ-centered life i encourage you to visit our website setapart.org and look at the many resources articles and videos and podcasts and blogs that we have for you there that can help steer you in that direction i pray you have a blessed and christ-centered week